Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Clay Bundy of Clay Bundy Outfitters off the Arizona Strip. Clay, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. I'm looking forward to, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast. I was able to to um, finally meet you in person up at the Western Hunting Expo up there in Utah in Salt Lake City, and um, it was nice to Nice to meet you. We've got a lot of mutual friends, and uh, uh, thought before these uh, Arizona applications for deer uh, are due uh, here, kind of second week in June. I figured it'd be a good time to get you on and and talk a little bit about the Arizona mule deer um, up there on the Arizona Strip. So I'm I'm anxious to um, have a conversation with you today. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be part of this and to. Uh, it was nice meeting you, and uh, and I just love mule deer, and and that's that's what I live for. And so I'd love to uh, talk to you about it. That sounds awesome, um, Clay. Uh, you you and your family um, have been up on that Arizona Strip country for many many years. Um, I've I've had. Uh, Breck Bundy, whom I I think maybe is a nephew or some some relation to you. He's a, he's a uh, cousin, a cousin of mine. Cousin. Okay, yep. cousin. Um, and before we get into talking about mule deer, um, let's talk a little bit about history uh, of of your family up there on the Arizona Strip. Uh, maybe talk about uh, you know your father, your grandfather. Um, you know how far back do you guys go up there on the Arizona Strip? Okay, so my grandfather and his father, my great grandfather, came to the Strip in 1916, and they homesteaded right there at Mount Trumbull, um, where the right there where the schoolhouse is, uh, and you know everybody calls it Bundyville. They, the Bundys called it Mount Trumbull, uh, and so they, we, uh, my father or my grandfather homesteaded there, and then my father uh, bought the place from uh, his mother after my my grandfather died, and my father has run it uh, until two years ago he passed away, and uh, and so now my brothers and I are are continuing to run the ranch and. Um, you know, my father uh, loved ranching, but he loved hunting, and and that was a part of my life growing up. I've, I've hunted out there since I was 10 years old. I've had a tag every year except for two years during those times, and uh, we just, you know, we love we love deer meat. We love uh, not just the, the the rack, but we love to uh, we love to uh, eat it. And you know, my dad would, as when he was running the ranch, would always would always talk cows. But every time we talked to him, we'd also he'd talk deer to us because he'd tell us what he'd seen, and and he knew of my love for deer and and his his also love. He he used to. Uh, when he was a young man, guided people over on the Kaibab, uh, and also uh, when I was a young kid out, growing up out on the strip, I I went to actually went to the school out there until I was in third grade, and uh, oh, wow. and so we uh, 
as young kids, there was hunters that would come by and ask my dad to take them. And a lot of times there wasn't really any money involved, but there was they'd give him a gun or something to. Uh, and there was some cool guys that we got to meet over the years, and and so that's kind of what got me going in deer. And and uh, you know, my dad not only loved deer, he loved. I think he almost loved sheep as much as he loved deer. Uh, but uh, we just have always loved to hunt. You know, and we're as, you know, we're ranchers, and a lot of times people think, well, ranchers and hunters don't really get along, but that wasn't the case in this situation with my dad, because we love to hunt as much as we love to ranch, and, uh, you know, we take we take good care of our land for, not only for our cows, but for our deer, too, our wildlife, so. Absolutely. Clay, what was your dad's name? Orville, O-R-V-E-L, and that was okay. important. And then, and, was <laughs> and then your grandfather, what was his name? His name was Roy, Roy Bundy, and Roy. my great-grandfather was Abraham. Okay, okay, so so Orville was your dad, and he just passed away a couple years ago, but, but he really instilled the love of hunting. It sounds like when you were young, you would... You would be out there on the ranch, but you would you would be hunting from the age of ten on uh, with your dad. One question I would have is: in your lifetime that you've seen, um, you know, what is the difference now on the Arizona Strip to say when you were ten years old, as far as deer numbers? Was there more then? Is there more now? What was the dif- What is the difference between say when you were around ten years old and now? Well. So when I was uh, 10, so I was born in 59, so that would be 69, there was there was quite a few deer at that time. It almost like there was uh, right in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was a lot of deer, but then they they something happened, and I don't know whether it was a disease. I mean, they, they did have a lot of tags, but I don't know what happened to the does. Uh, and so then there was a... You know, in my teenage years, there wasn't a lot of deer out there. You could go up on Mount Logan, and if you see a couple deer, you were, you felt like you'd been successful. And to you know, uh, a few years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, they they did a big, uh, they burned a lot of that country up up in them ponderosas underneath them, and then it, and it allowed for more. Uh, summer country. The Arizona Strip has some of the best winter country in the world, but we don't have very good summer country for the does to give enough milk for to raise two fawns. And when they they did that uh, work up there on Mount Logan, it allowed for more fawns to make it. And and there's more deer now than there was 15 years ago. Uh, okay. And I almost think. I've said a lot lately that we, we right now we are living in the good old days. Uh, so, so the good old days for the Arizona Strip are right now. Right now, um, as, as far as deer numbers and what have you, these are the good old days. Um, with that being said, though, Clay, um, back you know some of the old black and white photos, and and I'm going to guess they're from you know the you know 40s, 50s, maybe early 60s. Um, 
you see some photos of some great big deer um, that, you know, had been shot out there, um, do you feel like as far as quality of bucks that, you know, the last, say, you know, 15, 20 years that, that we are in the heyday of the Arizona Strip? Or do you feel like as far as big deer, um, you know, back in the 50s was the best time? I really believe it's now. Uh, you know, and there was a big deer kill then, but not, I mean, you look at 2010, there there was, uh, what, there was 20, 20 bucks over 220 killed. Yeah. Yeah, with, with, with only uh, with only 150 tags in those two units, where back in the 40s and 50s it was unlimited. There was thousands of uh, California people that came up here, and Utah people that came out there and hunted. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Just thousands and thousands of people, according to my dad. You know, and yeah. So, so I I really believe, you know, today is the good old days. And it's not just because, I, I think there was plenty of big deer back then, probably just as big a deer, but nowadays we have, uh, we have better optics, we have better trucks, better machines to get around, uh, we have cameras, we have uh, more people to help us. People seem yeah. to have more yeah. time now to hunt. Um, and so, and I'm not saying that we're better hunters now, but I think we're better we are a little better because of what we have to hunt with. Yeah, the equipment for sure makes a big difference. Um, w when it comes to cattle, and, and uh, I, I assume a lot of that land up there is BLM, and you know, I would assume some of it's state, maybe even some forest land, but uh, as far as cattle, uh, you guys are primarily cattle grazers. Give the listeners kind of an idea of um, twofold, either A, kind of the, the amount of range that you guys cover now, and then maybe um, second part is your grandfather and father, the amount of range that they covered then, meaning uh, do you and your brother, do you cover the same territory, or was it bigger, or are you guys, you know, covering more ground now, or did, at one time did you cover more ground uh, with your cattle then? You know, we actually covered the, the same country that my uh, grandfather had. Um, and so, and we have probably similar amount of cows. We, the improvements we have done uh, is, you know, incredible, you know, as far as waters, uh, railing trees, uh different things to improve the range for our cows, which in turn also helps the wildlife. Um, and so we're, there's others that, you know, have less or more than what we did, but we kind of stayed about the same uh, area of land that we we, uh, we run on. I mean, we have, there, there's 30, about 30,000 acres of, of land that we run our cows on. Uh, and, and and so those thirty thousand acres. I mean, your grandfather, your father. Now you run. I mean, in obviously the Arizona Strip is bigger than thirty thousand acres, but the area that you run your cows on is thirty thousand acres of, of land. 
And what you're saying is the improvements over the years with, with all the different water catchments, uh, dirt tanks, uh, et cetera, windmills, I would assume, uh, not to mention, um, you know, the, the, the juniper you mentioned, that I believe the chainings and knocking some yes. of the juniper in, infestation down has created more opportunity for cattle to graze. But in your mind, uh, without a doubt in your mind, has it also created a lot more habitat for the deer and other wildlife? Absolutely. And if you if you go to a, a chaining or, a, you know, a knockdown, wherever you, wherever you are, what they call it, we call it a chaining out here, is uh, that's where the deer are. That's where if you want to glass them up, that's where, that's where they are, and especially a new area that's been treated. Uh, that's where the wildlife are. That's where the cows like. That's where the new growth, uh, it's just where, if you want to see a, a, a herd of bucks in the, in the, when they're growing their horns, you want to go to a, a, a chaining, because uh, that's where they're going to be. And so it's, it's just the improvements we've done and other ranchers have done have, have just It helps us, but it helps the wildlife. You know, the ponds, I've, I've, one thing I also do out here on the Strip is I, I build wildlife drinkers for the Arizona Fish and Game. And over the years, I've watched these waters, um, and if there is a dirt pond in the near, you know, within a, a mile of, of a, a wildlife drinker, they will go to the dirt pond rather than the wildlife drinker because it's safer. And and so it's um, you know it's it's important for me for listeners to realize that ranchers do so much for wildlife and and sometimes it's not uh, realized quite as much as it should be. I think. And, and sure. you know, we don't we don't want anything for it. We just want, you know, um, we love we just love wildlife too, and uh, we're glad to be able to uh, to help improve sure, the wildlife. For sure, absolutely. And having that, um, sometimes there's a misconception between sportsmen and, and ranchers, and I think that's what you're alluding to. And it's always yes, nice is. to point out that that you know. A lot of ranchers, I come, I'm a rancher's grandson, um, a lot of ranchers, my grandfather's friends and what have you, you know, maybe if they don't hunt themselves, a lot of their families do, and they love seeing the deer and the turkey and, you yes. know, the elk in, in, in other parts of the state and what have you as well. Um, going back, so you, this, um, I've been by the quote, "Quote unquote Bundyville," and you 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 kind of laugh. I hear in your voice when you said the Bundys uh, don't call it Bundyville, but a lot of other people do. So it's been nicknamed Bundyville because yes. you know the, a lot of the Bundys reside right there. And I remember going by the schoolhouse and actually going in the schoolhouse. It's been a number of years. Um, so when you say you went there in third grade, the actual schoolhouse that's right there by uh, where your family house is, is that the schoolhouse that, you know, you, you went to school in in third grade? Yes. So it was, it be after we, after we, uh, I went there until third grade, 
and my older brother went there until fourth grade, and then uh, it, there wasn't enough students, and they they closed it down, and so then we had to come to St. George's School. But uh, so right in that place, it was still standing, and and when I got older, I I I've done a lot of construction, and and we uh, rebuilt it and uh, made it really nice again, and then a bunch of animals burned it down. And, oh, uh, that's horrible. When did that happen? That's horrible. Uh, that was uh, uh, probably 20 years ago. And so what they did is I had, you know, I had all the measurements and everything, and so then we rebuilt another one right in the exact okay. same spot. All the, you know, I had all the windows and everything. And, uh, and so okay, so the so the one I've actually been in is is within the last ten years. That's actually a rebuilt kind of yeah. um, rebuilt what you remember as the as the school uh, house. And so that's not the actual schoolhouse, but it's in the same exact location, same exact same, same dimensions. Everything's in the same spot. The old one used that's to have neat. a used to have a, a wood stove right in the center of it, with a stove fight going out. Um, but other than that, everything is exactly the same. And it's, it was kind of a it was really kind of a sad deal that they did it. And uh, you know, because for for my uh, kids and my grandkids now, I mean, the fun part when we we head to the ranch is when you drop off that McCain Hill coming coming. That's when you can see the schoolhouse, and it's always a race to see who can see the schoolhouse, you know, the first. And so. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was there, there was eight eight students in the school, um, and that's pretty neat. Uh, one one teacher. Wow, that's pretty neat. Uh, so Clay, the the area that you run your cows, um, you, you're you're right there on the border of 13A and 13B. In speaking specifically about you know your your permit or whatever where you run your cows, is it in A and in B or is it just in one unit? No, it's in both. Our summer country is in A, right there on top of the Hurricane Rim, um, and we have three pastures up there. Then right as you come off the off the dugway down towards the schoolhouse, there are ranch houses there, and we have we have about three sections of private property right there. And then we take our cows down in Whitmore Canyon uh, to the south of of there, and the the Grand Canyon, the the actual canyon, is our fence on the south side of that. So our cows uh, are right down next to there. You know, it's a level up from the river, but uh, so it's a it's a two-day cattle drive to take them down there and then bring them back and um, now, so it's been a that it's it, been a go ahead well I was going to say that area um, obviously is a huge ranching area um, but correct me if I'm wrong um, it also used to be a huge area for sheep as well um, my question is um, is there still sheep that run in that country uh, domestic domestic sheep, yeah, domestic sheep. No, there's not. Like when they were, uh, when my dad he said he could remember when he was a young man going up Main Street there. He would he used to herd sheep for Rollin Esplin, uh, 
And so a lot of those sheep would come out there and winter out there and then come back into Utah uh, in the summer. But there would be like 20 different uh, sheep camps out into those those hills uh, with, you know, thousands of sheep on each one. Uh, when I was a young, when we lived out there, I remember going on a on a on a school field trip and out to watch uh, a guy named Yuri Jordan shear his sheep. But really? since yeah, it's been you know probably fifty sixty years since there's been sheep out there though. Okay, so the whole area is primarily cattle. Well, that's probably area. yeah, that's a little bit wrong. Probably fifty. 45 to 50 years since there's okay. been sheep out there. So now okay. it is. It's all cattle, yeah. All cattle. And and um, is it safe to say that most of the other ranchers all across the Arizona Strip are primarily made up of families of generations that have been out there in that country? And, and so, in other words, um, most of the ranchers that are you know, taking care of the land and what have you are people that have been out there for generations. So there's 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 a, a long history of of families uh, that that ranch in that area. Yes, that, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. And then you talk about um, making improvements and such on the land, and I would ask you, when did your, you know love for really getting into the trophy hunting aspect of mule deer hunting, um, you know, when did that really take over for you as far as, you know, was there a definite time when, you know, you really focused on those those older bucks, those bigger bucks, and, you know, started guiding and, and really started getting into the, the trophy mule deer aspect of the Arizona Strip? Yeah, you know, I, I started guiding in like 99. Uh, but, you know, over the years when we, we'd hunt for meat, the first deer we'd hunted, we hunted for meat. And then then we hunted for horns after that. And my, and my dad killed some big old deer over the years. Uh, but it was 99, uh, you know, and it was the draws had started to come out and we couldn't draw and we couldn't draw. And so I got where... Uh, there was a guy uh, that came and had tags, and uh, and he wanted wanted to know if I'd take him hunting, and I took him hunting not not for any money at all. I just wanted to go hunting, and uh, and so he uh, then wanted to know the next year if we if him and I could guide together, and so we did that, and then he split we split up and. And uh, since then, we've, we've been doing that. And if you want to know his name, I can tell you. <laughs> Who is um, it? Chad Smith. Okay. You know Chad? And, yeah, I know Chad. And so so at that point, so it's like early 2000s, and, yep. you know, the, the, the trophy mule deer, it's, it's coming on as far as the Arizona Strip has always been known for big deer and what have you, but... Um, there has been some, you know, for lack of better term, there has been some commercialization of guiding and such in the Arizona Strip, and there's a handful of outfitters that 
obviously spend a lot of time on the Arizona Strip. And then, then, then they've got yourself who um, not only do you guide on the Arizona Strip uh, for mule deer and sheep and, and what have you, antelope, um, but you are out there spending time running your cattle as well. How much time would you say in a year, you know, are you, are you six months on out there and six months off, or are you, you know, ten months out there and two months? If, if you added up all the time um, over the last, say, 20 years, how much time do you spend out there on the Arizona Strip? Well, see, what I also do is I build these wildlife ranges for the fishing game. And so I'm, I'm out there with the cows. I'm out there with, for, for that. I'm out there for hunting. I am, I'm out there probably uh, four to five days a week. So, so, so a lot of, you spend a lot of time throughout the year all, all yeah. periods of time, whereas some other outfitters are just there during hunting season. I mean, you're obviously there four to five days a week all throughout the year, tending yeah. to your cattle and building drinkers for the Arizona Game and Fish. The, the, the drinkers that you build, uh, I, I'm going back to something you said. You said if they have a choice to drink between a, a, a dirt tank or a Game and Fish drinker, they're going to drink at the dirt tank as much as they can because of safety. Explain to the listeners what you mean by a dirt tank being feeling safer to the deer, in your opinion. Okay, a dirt tank, you know, is is usually out in the open, and it's 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 got surface area. You know, it may be 100 and 200 foot wide by 100 foot the other direction, and um, and it usually has a big water lot, which keeps the cows where you can keep the cows in or out. Where uh, a, a wildlife catchment or a trick tank is what some of them call it is uh, it catches water off can and runs into a tank, and then there's a a trough that has um, the water in it, and something. A lot of the old ones, and since I've been rebuilding them, I've I've kind of talked with the fishing game and have permission out here on the strip to knock a bunch of these trees down to make it safer for the deer. But what happens is, you know, if there's brush and if there's trees right there by that water, I mean, we have trail camera pictures of a lion laying right on the water, and you can see a deer eyes, see deer in the background. Did he just sitting there waiting? Uh, and so it's. It's very dangerous. That is almost the, well, it is. It's the most dangerous place for deer is water because the latch where the lions get them. And so a, a pond is a lot opener. The dirt tank is a lot opener. And there's more area to uh, to get a drink. Uh, yeah, it makes safer. total sense. It makes total sense in the fact that if it's more open and they have the ability to watch as they come in, listen as they come in, smell as they come in, and as they're drinking, if it's open, something, you know, a coyote or a lion can't sneak up on them, whereas if it's in close quarters, say a spring or a, a, a metal catchment where it's close quarters, you know, they can get ambushed a lot easier. Um, it, it makes total sense. So... 
let me transition into this question in conditions, well, with the conditions the way they are, which I assume they're super dry out there, um, I assume a lot of the dirt tanks are drying up. Do you think we're going to have more of a predation problem, you know, this summer or this year? Uh, you know, will, will we lose more deer, in your opinion, this year because of the dirt tanks being pretty dry uh, compared to other years? Possibly, but I'm optimistic. You know, we get our big storms that fill the dirt tanks in July and August out here. And uh, we actually had uh, a good July and August and September last year, and a lot of these dirt tanks still have water in them. Our, our summer country, just up there last week checking on it, and our ponds all still have water. Uh, and so, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, gloom about how dry it is, and it, 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 we need water bad. But it's it's interesting how resilient the land is out there, and how it's like the cliff rose. If you go out there right now, it's beautiful. There's the cliff rose is blooming, uh, and what I like to always do is grab the cliff rose and and squeeze it in my hands and. If it's just dry and brittle, you know, there's not much in it. But if it's greasy, it's it's got a lot of protein in it, and it's it's still really in pretty good shape. Uh, and I was out uh, in the south end of the unit this last week, uh, and then I'm headed to get there again tomorrow. You know, there's it actually surprisingly looks pretty good. And so I'm really quite optimistic about um, that we are going to have some good horn, horn growth this year. And so, I, you know, as far as the predation, I I think it'll probably be similar unless it unless we don't get any storm this summer, and then it, then it it will make a big difference. Okay, so. So what I hear you saying is we're dry, but it's surprisingly, in your mind, it's holding its own, uh, especially on that south end, is what you're saying is the, the cliff rose. So if I translate that into the deer, um, do you feel like if we can get, let's say, you know, normal monsoons, July 1st, July 4th, somewhere right in there, and get some good storms, as far as antler growth, do you think, you know, I've heard a lot of people saying they think it's going to be really rough. Um, in your opinion, do you think it's going to be average, below average, or potentially above average for an antler growth year? I think it's going to be average. Okay, so you are not of the opinion that it's so dry that it's going to be below average. You just think it's going to be an average year um, out there on the Arizona Strip. Yes, and you know, we could if we get a storm here, some decent storms here in the next couple of weeks, it could be a great year again. Okay, okay. Uh, obviously, you know, you mentioned 2010, a banner year. I believe in 13A alone, I think there was like, I want to say there was like 15 bucks over 200 in A alone that year. 
um, just an unbelievable year. Uh, you're you're not forecasting one of these banner years, but you're thinking it's going to be average. So, on average, when you take like a 13B on on an average year, and these are numbers that I'm just throwing out there, it seems like when I talk to outfitters that they say there's you know say 40 or 50 bucks in 13B across the board that are you know say 200 inches or better. Do you feel like, you know, this year with as dry as it is, but with maybe, you know, some of the areas you say holding their own, do you think we can still have that, you know, 40 buck over 200 type type situation or will it be 40 bucks over 200, but, you know, maybe there won't be those 230, 240, 250 bucks. Maybe there'll be a lot of 205 to 210 to maybe even high end type 220 type bucks. Yeah, I would say that would be an average year. There'll be, they're still going to. I mean, if you look at what was left over from last year, there was there's, there was a lot of deer that made it that are going to be big deer. You know, whether they get to the way high end is yet to be seen, but there's there's still going to be some big old deer killed. How do you see? Um, if you compare B and A right now, as far as conditions, is there one unit over the other that is in in better shape or worse shape, or do they both seem to be about the same condition? As far as conditions, I think they're they're about the same. Uh, you know, A is has kind of struggled the last few years of, of having as good a deer. Um, and this year, the the A hunt is first instead of the B hunt, and so they've been going back and forth for that the last couple of years. And you know the A, so it's earlier and not so much in the rut. But then a lot of those A deer then drop off to B and get shot in the B hunt. So you know, I think you'd want to have a B hunt this year. B tag. I'm looking. I'm looking at the regs right now, and it's uh, 13A is November 9th through November 18th, and then 13B is November 16th through the 25th. Yes. E even with that A hunt being the 9th through the 18th, that's still for that first hunt. If you follow my logic, you know whether it be A or B, that first hunt. Those are those. Both of those dates are still on the later spectrum, you know, later end of the spectrum, um, do you yes. see possibly that 13A hunt, you know, towards the end of that 13A hunt? I mean, you could probably, if, if conditions are right, you could probably get some deer running around. That A hunt may oh, actually yes. be pretty good, don't you think? Yeah, no, I do. I do, for sure. And they'll be, if they're not in the right end of the rut, they'll be really staging, you know, and so... Yeah, it, it'll it'll improve the. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I mean, A is better if it's the late time, late later right. hunt. But right. So so what I hear you saying is obviously if 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 A was the November sixteenth to the twenty fifth, it would make hunting conditions and you know rutting deer. It would be a better hunt in A. 
Um, but with that being said, 13B with the November 16th to the November 25th, it's going to be phenomenal, probably rutting type hunt in 13B, correct? That's the way I see it, yes. Yeah. And the other thing, Clay, is, you know, we talk about success, we talk about hunt conditions and what have you. It's not as if on those hunts that actual more numbers are going to be killed but would you agree that those later dates potentially give you more deer sightings, more activity on those hunts? So it's not, you know, you guys, you outfitters up there, you're so good and you know those deer so well. It's not that you're not going to kill that buck that you're after, but it's more like in pursuit of that buck, you're probably going to see more bucks, more does on their feet during daylight moving around. Yes, that's true. And what happens too is, is you know, yeah, we're good, but there's still bucks that show up that that you didn't know about, and that it's when they show up, it's usually during the rut, and so yeah. it just improves your odds of of finding even something better, maybe, or something that that just came moved into that area, or come out of the trees, or you know came to, you know, those does. I, I've noticed over the years, you know, you think, well, the bucks goes to the does, but the does also go to the bucks. Uh, it works both ways during that rut, and so they're, they congregate, and they're more, it, you just see more deer during the rut. But, the, you know, the big yeah. bucks sometimes may move, too. I mean, he may not be right where he was, where you were scouting because of the rut. It, it can, sure. can change things too. For sure. Um, as I was going to ask you that. As far as deer that you've scouted out, um, you know, you talk about you talk about your cows, you put them in summer range, you know, and, and, and the deer, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the deer kind of have the range that they use in the summer and then they have the places that they go to rut. Um, on a, on a majority scale, would you say that deer on the Arizona Strip move to go rut, but is there always the exception of that buck that it basically stays in the same spot the whole time from velvet all the way through the rut, or do they all move to go rut? No, they do not. Uh, there's one particular deer that uh, I call him crossover that we've every outfitter out there has tried to kill for the last six years. And that buck only hits the same water, and he and there's other waters within a mile of there, and he only hits that one, uh, and he he stays there the whole time, uh, and and some of these other deer that that lucky deer that we hunted and killed, I mean he lived in a in a two three mile radius all his life, uh, where a lot of these. 13A bucks right there on Logan will drop down off the rim there and come down into B. There is quite a bit of uh, migration, and it depends on the part of the strip you're at. If you're, a, if you're, uh, you know, in the middle part, they don't really move. They don't move that far. Uh, you know, if there's a, a mountain range close, they will go up and but down that. You know, but the strip. It, is uh, a lot of it, like I say, is uh, real similar country, and so they don't. Some of them don't move hardly at all. 
Um, it's just interesting how, and some of them you go, holy cow, he really, <laughs> he really moved, you know. And yeah. it's just interesting the different, I think they're like people, they have different personalities and and maybe they uh, got shot at once and made it and they're not going, you know, they're staying in a safe spot that where, what keeps them alive, you know. For sure, absolutely. It's it's very interesting to see the different, you know, personality or characteristics of a buck and, and watch how they travel and um, hearing the stories that you guys tell up there about some of these different deer are, are awesome. Uh, speaking of specific deer, um, over the years you've been a part of killing some of the biggest deer on the Arizona Strip. Are, is there one deer in particular or one hunt in particular of a certain deer or, you know, following a certain deer that you guys ended up killing that stands out to you as, you know, either A, your favorite, or B, just, just you know, a, a, an unbelievable t uh, tale of, you know, mishaps and what have you, and finally, you know, having it all come together. Is there any one deer that, you know, you would call it as your favorite, you know, story of a deer that you guys followed and finally got shot? Well, there's a couple. I'll tell you the the one the one that's right in my mind the most is, is the one we killed this year. Um, that we call him Traveler, or some people call him the Rimbuck. Uh, we've we've known of this deer for uh, four to five years. I have trail camera pictures of him, uh, and I've never seen a deer. All I had was pictures of him. We've hunted him those four years and never never laid eyes on him. Uh, and this year he he exploded. Uh, interesting. What four years ago he was probably a 195 buck, just a, a good solid massive heavy four point. Uh, the next year he became, you know, a two probably a 210 buck, and then the next year he's a 220. And then this year, when we kill him, is a 258. Uh, and interesting, they they uh, you know they took the tooth out of, out of him, and he's a nine-year-old buck. It takes years to get a big deer, a lot of times. And this buck, uh, I I've always really, you know, you get. You get what you want to kill a buck, not because you want to kill it, but just just because he's so challenging. This buck lives in a place where it's hard to see, hard to glass, uh, and he he knew how to get in the trees and stay hidden. Uh, this year, we uh, Roy Crouch is the one who uh, had the tag. He he won the Arizona raffle tag, and. Uh, we uh, had hunted him in the opening opening day. We got messed up on another deer and then uh, came and hunted him and didn't see him. And then we, we Roy came back another time and we we decided that we was going to take a walk to these trees towards the rim and see if we could uh, just hit some tracks and follow him because we just glass and glass and couldn't see anything, and we 
we hit some tracks and followed them and we found that fresh droppings and we knew he was close and I said this be ready and he came out of this little canyon and came up and and uh didn't quite give Roy a good shot. Well we we trailed him and Roy uh, Roy had a one of those things that tells how far he walked. We trailed him eleven miles. <laughs> and that deer uh, five times he backtracked probably 150 yards and then would, would go again. And he was just... So in other words, you were following him and then he would he would come back on his track or he would come, do a button hook? Yep. He would he'd go down the road, go down and then all of a sudden the tracks would disappear and there'd be tracks coming back and you'd have to follow back about 150 yards and then you'd hang a left or a right and... It was it was a real education to uh, and really fun to try to outsmart this deer. And at the time, was it fun, Clay, or at the time was it extremely frustrating? Like, well, is it, it, was it fun to look back, or was it at the time you <laughs> wanted to pull every hair you had on your head out? Well, it was just amazing to watch how smart he was. But I mean, we were exhausted. I mean, it was 11 miles, and and zigzagging, and and we had people out in front trying to to find him, but he was staying in those trees, and then he was he kind of went back almost to where we had uh, we had jumped him, and and there came a probably a 10 minute just downpour. <laughs> And and then it was over, you know. And then we really went home, and we uh, got onto another big deer, and and that deer was near a park, and he jumped in the park, and so then I said, let's go back and hunt traveler, and and I gassed him up just probably an hour before dark, and uh, he he. I found him. He was with a little two-point, and then, and I was changing from my 15s to my 40s, and and then he was gone, and I was panicked, and then it, oh. and you know it was just a, you know, and he's probably uh, half a mile away over on a ridge, and I just kept looking and looking and he had, he had laid down right after I right when I was switching uh, my binoculars and uh, anyway it worked we uh, we made a go at him and it just worked out and that Roy just shot him laying down right in the neck and it was just incredible you know you uh, you walk up onto a deer and I mean he has 10 inch bases uh, I mean that's big as an elk and uh, and then I, I rough scored him, and you know, and you you score a deer, and then you think, oh boy, I hope I did that right. Well, we just had him officially scored a week ago, and uh, he was two fifty eight and change. And, wow, uh, netted two forty seven. Uh, for you you guys listening out there, uh, make sure to follow Clay Bundy Outfitters on Instagram, and if you go to October ninth. 
2017, there's a photo, there's a couple photos kind of in that October 9th time frame, 9th, 10th, uh, and it shows the buck, but man, Clay, he's got giant bases and just kickers off of kickers and trash. He's just a, just a sweet buck. So that 11 miles, when you guys were on him, you said, you know, four or five times he would backtrack. So in other words, he knew you guys were following him. Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. And another thing that was interesting, you know, if you were going across a place where you could trail him, he'd just go straight. If you hit a, a flat where it was, uh, there was a lot of vegetation grass, he would hang a, he'd try to, uh, he'd go left or right. And it, it, I just, uh, you know, I've traveled a lot of stuff, and I'm not that bad of a trailer, but I've just never seen a deer go to that extent to try to get rid of you. And we were dogged. I mean, we stayed on him. Uh, it was an all-day trailing. You know, we jumped him in the morning, and it was late afternoon when that storm came and, and uh, forced everything out. Uh, so let, let me ask you a question. In a situation where a storm comes, it rains, and you know you're you've obviously been following tracks in the sand, you know, in the sand, in the dust, in the dirt, and then it rains. For those out there listening, at that point, I would think it would make following his tracks easier because of the mud. Is that the truth or not? Well, we we were still behind him. You know what I mean? We were like, uh, you know, he he, he could have been. You could have uh, been a mile behind him, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. And he, okay. And then, w with that storm, I mean, you couldn't see tracks anymore. The tracks were gone. Uh, gotcha. It was a it was a downpour. Uh, That's why you guys ended up going after another deer, and then you went back after Traveler. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is you were far enough behind him that, yeah, it would have been great if you had tracked him in fresh mud, and you know that he you know you're only minutes behind him. But at that point, you guys were you guys were on tracks that could have been, and probably were hours behind him. Yes, and and it just. The downpour. I mean, you you were looking for something to get under. It was it was yeah. You we were stopping, you know, quick. Yeah. Really got wet. Yeah. In, in talking about tracking, um, and obviously being a rancher your whole life, I mean, you deal with tracks a lot. Um, what advice can you give to hunters out there, not only on the Arizona Strip, but in tracking in general? Um, some of the things you've learned when tracking a deer, um, just things that come to your head as far as advice to people, you know, learning how to track or trying to be better trackers, what what advice would you give them? So what you want to know first is how old the track is. And so if you look at, um, you know, you look and see it, you remember whether it's the wind has blown that night before or whether there's uh, little critter tracks in their tracks or or how bright the track looks you know as far as you know you can tell if if you look at a your own footprint how you know you step out of it out of it and look how how shiny or it looks compared to the to the track that you're trying to follow and, and try to get an idea of how um, 
old it really is. And then, you know, I've done a lot of uh, lion hunting also, and with, you know, animals a lot of times, you know, you get a track going, and you, uh, they kind of will go a course, you know, and you kind of get that bearing in your head, and so if you miss a track, you go ahead a little further and see if he's in the direction that he was going there, and, uh, and if you don't find it, then you come back to the last place you found it and try a different little angle. And, uh, you know, in rocks, it's, it's very difficult. And you, you may not find the track, but you may find a little rock that's been moved a little bit. And then keep going that direction. And, um, it's, it's fun to... Uh, I enjoy tracking. Uh, a lot of times it's not very profitable, but it's... Uh, but it can be, and so it's it's kind of a an art that is fun to uh, try to improve on too. How how often when you're tracking clay are you, or, or when do you know that a deer is going to slow down? I hear people talking about saying, "I told my hunter, get ready, he's going to be close." What gives you that indication usually? Well, if they're they're walking, and if they start to meander a little bit, just a little bit, or if if you see droppings, fresh droppings, uh, and then it, depending on where they're going, if they're going into a, a canyon where there's where you know there's beds or things like that, that's what tells me he's he's close. Get ready. Okay. Very interesting. And then, obviously, when deer, when a certain deer that you're tracking gets within other deer and other bucks, it could become difficult. How important is it to really hone in and focus on the size, length, stride of that particular deer's track? It's very important. But when you get mixed up with a bunch of deer, then it's very difficult, and it's easy then to uh, quit tracking. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> to it's, give up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I heard you say before that, like, a deer's kind of lined out. You've kind of got a direction going. Did I hear you correctly in saying you know, you can obviously follow and kind of, you've got a path line or you've got a, you've got a, you know, even if you're looking on your GPS and you've got kind of a line going, so to speak, did I hear you say that they kind of stay on that line, but be careful that if you lose a track, make sure to go back to the last place you had it because they're going to veer left or right. Yes. Um, but de deer that you follow, specifically older, big deer, mature deer, do they do they zig and zag a lot, or do they typically line out from one place to another? Well, they do zig and zag, but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, if you go, you know, you've got a track coming between two trees, and there's kind of a, a for the next uh, 20 yards, there's kind of a, a clearing, that's probably where he's going to go. And then get to that point, and then, you know, he may go right or left, 
uh, or he may come to a cliff for something to eat on and stand there and eat for a minute and then walk a different direction. But, you know, kind of anticipate if you see where he's going and how he's going, you anticipate where to be looking for those tracks because, you know, it's just like you. If you're taking off walking and, and there's a brush here, you'll kind of go around it or, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And animals do the, the same the thing. Path of least, the path of least resistance. So in other words, yes. what you're saying is as you're tracking, you're also looking out in front of you on a line that you've been going on, but if you kind of notice that, oh, there's a couple trees on either side, he's probably going to go right through there, and then you just keep following the track. Sure enough, he went right through that opening. Then yes. another opening, you can kind of start getting a pattern of this deer likes to kind of just pick the openings and head through them like anything else would. So as, you, as you're tracking, you're kind of processing not only the track that you're standing on, but you're looking ahead and confirming, yep, he went right through here, yep, he went right through here, so that when you get to another spot, you can pretty much go, yeah, he's probably going to go right through there. Is that, what, is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. Uh, they... They they they're creatures of habit too, you know. They 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 kind of make different decisions, and and you'll notice that the deer will make that same decision the next time he's in the, comes to a certain area, you know. Yeah, the clearing. So good stuff. I want to take just a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. And remind you guys, the listeners, that if you're not an Insider member, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash insider. You can use the J. Scott promo code, and you can sign up. When you do that, you're going to get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card that you can use immediately to redeem uh, lots of great valuable gear there in the, in the gear shop. Uh, it's a huge Western hunting resource to be able to evaluate units across all these Western states, and I highly encourage you guys to check out GoHunt.com Insider. Also, Kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. They make the best ultralight hunting gear on the market today, in my opinion. Uh, the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, uh, 1-800-291-8065 or outdoorsmans.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And phonescope.com, if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there on phonescope.com. Uh, Clay, you talk about this Dear Traveler, and it, it's fun to listen to, um, you know, you guys up on the Arizona Strip and all the different nicknames that you have for the deer. Um, would you say that the deer nicknames are basically because you've got so many big deer, if you didn't have nicknames for them, you and the guys that guide with you and your friends and what have you, you'd have no way to keep track of certain deer year in and year out. And is that the main reason that you see of coming up with nicknames for these deer. Well, yeah, I mean, you can say, well, there's a five by five. Well, there's there's another five by five down the road. You know what I mean? Right. And so the names are just easier, and and different outfitters have different names for the same buck if they if they know about the same deer. Uh, but as we communicate, we can say, well, traveler or lucky or poor boy or big little heavy. These are some big deer that we've hunted over the years and named and. And uh, it just—I don't know. It just not only does it help know what you're talking about, but it it just kind of 
brings them more to life. They're not just, they're, most of the time a deer that gets a nickname is, is one that we've hunted more than just a year. That's yeah. uh, really a, a smart deer, you know, a deer that's a challenge and a deer that's just been really fun to hunt. You you talk about um, you know you talk about the conditions you talk about it being maybe not as bad as as some might think and you think you, you know you talk about holdover deer. Um, with that being said, I mean would it would it be safe to say that there's probably holdover deer that you, that, that you know about that you know let's say they're a two twenty buck that maybe they're not a two twenty buck maybe they're a two ten buck or maybe they've added one more year of maturity maybe they jump to a two thirty buck um, do, do you see in certain cases deer you know good deer from last year that are holdover bucks that you have kind of your eye on do you do you potentially see those bucks being you know, some of those bucks being bigger this year, or do you feel like with the conditions the way they are, not many of those deer will be bigger than what you think that, you know, they should be? I think that they're going to be, uh, if we can just get a little storm here in the next month, and then we get our monsoons, they're going to be just as big or bigger this year. Okay. I, I do. Okay. And then... I asked you about some deer, you know, you, you mentioned traveler. Are there any other deer that jump out at you that once you got the deer on the ground, um, you know, say over the last 20 years in particular, any of them that jump out at you that you could tell us a story about that, you know, is, is bittersweet almost getting them on the ground after, you know, so much, you know, heartache probably and thinking about one particular animal that's yeah, a buck called lucky i don't know if you i'm sure you've heard of him um and it was an auction tag this deer i had hunt i had got him on camera uh let's see four years before that and i hunted him during the regular hunt 10 days just as hard as we can we hunted him the whole time and never laid eyes on him the next year, he uh, uh, had got substantially bigger. He was like a, well, he was a 250 buck. And I, I hunted him the whole 10 days, never laid eyes on him. And he, he only would hit that, he hit the wildlife catchment one time. There was a big dirt pond, big, big pond that, we, I never got him on camera there, uh, but he that's, had to be where he was hitting for water. And uh, and then I uh, we had this auction tag, and I decided to go looking for him the first. It was on, I think the 14th of July, and I found him and I got a picture of him. And then I never seen him again until. Uh, uh, we had we were hunting another buck, and then you know you mentioned Breck. Breck got a, a video of this buck, and so then we uh, we knew how much he had grown. It was substantial, and then we uh, we came and we hunted. We hunted him the first day that we had the hunter there. We could have killed him. He missed the shot, and uh, then it was twenty days. Huh. 
before we killed him again, before we was able to uh, get on him again and kill him. Uh, and, you know, you talk about bittersweet. It's, it's an area, you know, so for four years I dreamed of this buck. I, I hunted him. I, every time I went to check a camera, it was like anticipation. You drive through that area just thinking, yeah, he's here. He's right here. And then then he's gone. You killed him. And uh, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, it's better than what we thought. He was, you know, just tremendous, tremendous deer. Uh, but I still, when I drive through that area, I always think about him and, and uh, think, gosh, dang it. It'd be sweet if you're still here, too, you know. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's that's, for me, uh, the thrill of hunting is not the kill. I I just love the deer. I love I love the scouting part. I love the uh, getting pictures of them and just being part of it. You know, the actual killing of the animal is not is not the high to me. It's the it's chase. Just, it's the chase. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned trail cameras, and I know the Game and Fish is... Um, I've been in Mexico for a month chasing Gould's turkey, but from what I understood, they had uh, potentially something on their desk in the last meeting that they were going to talk about doing some sort of trail camera ban, and I had heard that they were going to do, you know, no water sources. you got to be a quarter mile from a water source, and then when it came time to, to voting on it or whatever, I think they pushed it off to the, to the next meeting... Um, for me, you know, I don't outfit on the Arizona Strip. You know, I've been up there a handful of times and seen the amount of cameras and stuff on the tanks, but, and it does cause some um, squabbles and what have you, but it just seems to me that the most viable solution is to run cameras and just have a date that the cameras have to be pulled off. And, you know, then you say, well, there's an archery season and there's a rifle season and this and that. Well, I mean, it seems like rather than just banning them all together or making them where you can't put them on water, I mean, it seems like you could do, you know, three days before the archery hunt or two days before the archery hunt, you know, the cameras have to be pulled or a week or whatever the date may be. And then after the archery hunt, you know, you can run them up until the rifle hunt, you know, three days or whatever, two days before the rifle hunt starts. And then they all have to be pulled during the rifle hunt or... And then once the hunt's over, and then I know you guys run a lot of cameras after the rifle hunt, you know, and, yes. and you know, catch them during the rut and stuff. To me, it's almost a shame, you know, I know the problems that trail cameras create, but it almost seems a shame that I feel like older age class deer are being harvested because of the trail cameras, because you guys know there's this buck and that buck there, you know, maybe a 195 or 200-inch, you know, three- or four-year-old deer gets a pass when you know there's an eight-year-old, non-typical, you know, old, mature deer that you're after. Seems like they should come up with something rather than a, an all-out ban or a quarter-mile-from-water ban, just a time frame ban. I, I'm curious, and you don't have to weigh in on it if you don't want to, but I'm just curious your overall thoughts on it. Well, I, I totally agree with what you said about the the age class deer, because it's just like Traveler, the buck we killed. 
I wouldn't hunt there. It's a nasty place to hunt. I wouldn't hunt there unless I knew that buck was there. And the only way I knew it was there was because of trail cameras. Uh, and so, but part of the problem with what you're talking about, the, the time, and, and I totally agree with that, but you also you got to throw in the auction tag, 365 days. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you know what I mean? And yeah. that, the auction tag is probably the, are usually the ones who run the most cameras. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know really how to do that. Uh, but part of the reason why today is the good old days is because we have cameras. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm mixed. You know, I, I, one of my biggest frustrations is, is going out there and having my cameras stolen. And it happens yeah. all the time, and it's so frustrating. But yeah. then it's like it's like Christmas when you pop in a card and you got a lucky on it or a traveler. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's it's. I can hear it in your voice. You you love and hate them. You love them and hate them. Yep. You know you lo love them because of the one time you get a lucky or a traveler buck on there and the anticipation and the fun that that creates. But you hate them when you spend the same time putting a camera up for traveler or a lucky and you get there and three of your cameras are stolen or fifteen of your cameras are stolen. You know it creates you know fights with other guides and this and that and you know jealousy and blah 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 and it just creates a bunch of nonsense. I wish there was a way that you know sportsmen could figure out a way to kind of govern ourselves and make it work rather than have our government agency tell us what we're going to do. That's kind of what That's I'm exactly in my feeling because, I mean, we're in America. We should be able to run cameras if we want. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. Let's, but, you know, when you hear the word sportsman, I mean, sportsman to me is like someone who is fair and, yeah. but, <laughs> but there's... There can be, there's always a bad, some bad apples, you know, and it spoils oh, it yeah. for other people. So. Yeah, yeah, and I and I would agree, you know, you got 98% of the guys out there doing everything right and, you know, would help fellow fellow man and then there's always the 2% or 1% or 3% or 5% or whatever it is that would like to do nothing but do just for themselves and that's the unfortunate part is that it ends up screwing yeah. up, you know, I think a guy like yourself would do just fine if they eliminated cameras altogether because you know the country really well. You've lived there your whole life. You know, you spend lots of time there. I think the the guy that it hurts is maybe the outfitter that spends two weeks a year there just during hunting season, you know, during the archery hunt and during the rifle hunt, and the rest of the time they're never there. Um, so, I mean, I see it both ways. I just – I. I feel like other parts of the state, it, it, it would be too bad. I, I know the problems in 9 or 10 for elk, and I know the problems on the Arizona Strip, what some of those cameras have caused, but then you've got some guy in, you know, just some random unit that's, you know, got his camera on a spring, and there's no, he's never even seen another hunter around, and he's having fun running his camera. It's yeah. kind of too bad that he's affected by something that, you know, there's no competition for that spot at all. So I wish, you know, hopefully they'll take all of it into consideration and make some sort of good judgment call um, on it, um, you know, and it's, 
it's, it's one of those things. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, as you are, I'm sure this time of year is always anticipation when the antlers are growing. And, and yep. probably a month from now, you'll know a whole lot more than you do now. Um, but it's always a rejuvenating time of year when the antlers are growing and you have that new anticipation for the coming season. Um, one question I would ask you as far as passion for the sport, and you've been doing it a long time, does the passion go away or does it just get stronger and stronger as the years go by um, with these deer? Well, you know, the aches and pains are a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, there's just nothing funner to me than uh, – seeing a big, big deer and getting a, a live video or a picture of it and and just, you know, it goes back to my dad. I, you know, and now that he's gone, it's a little different, but, but it's the same, you know, coming, if I could get a picture and then bring it and show my dad and show him a big deer, it was just like, God, it, 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 it's just so fun to, you know, see his reaction and, and that's that's where I come back, and you know my my wife and I. I had five daughters, and and they all love to talk deer with me, and and they they get excited about seeing big deer, and now I got grandkids coming, that, you know, and so it's 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 still it's still my passion, and uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, it's awesome to hear. You can hear it in your voice when you talk about them, and that's. Um, so refreshing to me to to see a guy like you that's been doing it a long time and you still just love it and um, that's awesome awesome stuff I can't wait to see how you do this fall um, I really appreciate having you on the podcast I think we covered some good ground um, I want to I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know and I'll also link it up um, on the podcast show notes. Um, but I think I said Clay Bundy Outfitters um, on Instagram. Uh, but is there other ways that you would like people to contact you? You know, I'm on Facebook too. Those my Instagram posts go on Facebook. But also, I, I mean, feel free to call me at uh, my number four three five six eight zero two nine nine one. I mean, I love to talk gear and talk about putting in and and I always encourage people to put in for the super raffle uh, and it so Instagram and my uh, my phone number please call uh, love to talk uh, and I'm, I'm out of town a lot I'm out uh, on the strip and you don't have phone service much but I always check at night and leave a message and I'll I'll respond that sounds great. Well, I really appreciate your time, and um, I look forward to the listeners uh, getting to hear this episode, and I look forward to having you on uh, again down the road, and we'll share some more stories, and um, be fun to do one uh, in person uh, sometime. Uh, uh, it would be, be a lot of fun to do that and share some more stories, because I know you've got stories of all kinds of situations, you know, even situations unrelated to hunting, I'd love to hear some of the stories about 
you know, some of the things you've come across on the Arizona Strip and out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff out there. And um, we'll, we'll have to do that another time for sure. And, uh, yeah, God bless you. And I just appreciate you taking, taking the time with us. Thanks for considering me to be on it. And I, I appreciate you. Uh, all right, Clay, you take care, okay? God bless. Thank you. See you, bye. All right, all right bye.